ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhind, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. So when I was a little girl, I noticed that I started playing with the edges of my pillowcase. And I noticed this because a friend of mine pointed it out. And I hadn't even realized that I was doing it. And I didn't really know that there was anything wrong with it. And the fact is, at 44, I still do it because I've just realized that it's one of my coping mechanisms for anxiety that I've naturally had my whole life. But when my friend pointed that out, I definitely thought there must be something wrong with me. And so I would try to hide it. Sometimes I would take the wrapper of a piece of gum and I would fold it up into a point in order to kind of have some self-soothing. And of course, now these kids have these little spinner things. But this topic of kids and anxiety, kids and unhappiness, social media and what's going on with kids not being able to know who they are and feel good about who they are. There's so much stress, so much pressure. We need to figure out what can we do for our kids So any of you out there, if you are a parent, if you are a teacher, if you are an aunt or an uncle, any of the dudes out there that listen to this, or you just one day think you might want to be around kids and you might want to know how do we support our kids in what's going on with the anxiety, with the depression, with the challenges facing kids today, then you definitely want to listen to this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. And I have the best expert on the planet to help us with this. My dear friend and colleague, And someone I went to grad school with, Rini Jane, is founder and chief storyteller of GoZen. She's recognized as a pioneer in marrying technology and child psychology through her writing, product invention and development, masterclasses for parents and children's advocacy. Rini works to build emotional intelligence in kids, including resilience, empathy, kindness, and critical thinking. Rini is a certified life coach and holds an MA in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. She's also a wife and a mom, and she can be found reading a comic book, doodling, sipping a cup of coffee in a quiet room in L.A. Welcome, my dear friend, Rini. Karen, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you here. It's my honor. So Rini and I, you know, there were very few people who had ever done this Masters of Applied Positive Psychology, and we were only in the sixth year ever of this program at Penn. And here was this fabulous woman, Rini, and she started, we instantly, I feel like, whenever we both found out that we had married young, divorced young, and the same to, age, same age, wanted to bring this information, it was like such a connection. And what amazes me about you, Rini, is you talked in class, you hadn't yet done work with kids, but that was your passion. And you always were bringing it back, no matter what we were talking about, bringing it back to wanting to bring this field of positive psychology, the science of human flourishing, back to kids. And what you've now done, it's blown up. It's so amazing. So let's first talk about what's going on with kids and anxiety and the challenges facing kids today. Yeah, you know, the statistics are really just alarming. 
So one in three kids will be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder by the age of 18 in the US and the global statistics are not dissimilar, right? And so it is absolutely shocking to people whenever they hear that, they think, is that really the number? Is it because we're more aware of it? Is it because the diagnosis is different? You know, and then when I tell them, no, it's not because of that, you know, that's a number that is not because the diagnosis is different and we're more aware. So then everybody tries to figure out, well, what's going on? You know, what is going on? Is it the social media obsession? Is it our obsession with perfection? Right? Is it the overscheduling? Is it putting kids in the rat race so early? Is it helicopter parenting, right? We're mm. being on top of them all the time. And I say, yeah, you know, from my research and my professional work that I do with lots and lots of kids and lots and lots of schools, I would say that those are factors, right? Those are contributing factors. All of the above. All of the above. But what all of that is doing to me is one thing, which is really the root of the issue. And the root of the issue is that we come into this world with a very, very strong inner voice. I know that you talk about coming into the world with a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that this is unlike that. I think we come in listening to that voice, showing up authentically as who we are, and then getting into the rat race, mm -hmm. showing up um, you know, to get good grades in schools that are a lot like grade factories often, mm -hmm. you know, having someone hovering above us all the time, having social media affect us. I think all of those things, what they do is they contribute to a disconnection from that voice. And this, to me, is the root of what is going on with our kids. Mm, mm. So each of us really coming in with coming into the world as we are, right? For some kids, that's going to be super gregarious and outgoing. And then maybe they're told, you're too loud, you're too right. Or for some kids that might be being more quiet and being more introspective, and then maybe they're labeled as shy. And so they think they have to be different. Is that what you're saying? Is that And then for all kids coming into the world intensely, passionately curious with an intense love of learning. These mm. are two strengths that every child has. I have yet to meet a child, especially the really young ones, one, two, three, four, five years old. And you'd see it, you know, if you're a parent or if you're an aunt or if you were ever a kid yourself, which I'm assuming that everybody was. You remember going for a walk and stopping to, you know, touch a crack or lick the wall or do <laughs> something because you're intensely curious about everything around you and yes. you have an intense level of learning that is not defeated by failing whatsoever. You never fell down once while you were trying to walk and said, you know what, I think I'm just going to give this up. It just yeah. doesn't happen, right? You're intensely curious. You have an intense level of learning and somehow those dissipate as you get older and part of mm. this, yes. So this is what I'm talking about. You come into the world with a very strong knowing of who you are and how how you want to show up in the world. And that gets extremely confused when you get into all sorts of different systems, right? Where you're around other people and you're not really sure it's okay to be who you are, to voice your opinion, to be different. You're not sure of any of those things. You right. lose that balance, essentially. Right. And it's so interesting hearing you because I think back to the little girl I was, who my mom says first showed signs of anxiety when I was three. So I think, you know, I've thought before, well, what does a three-year-old have to be anxious over? 
Listening to you, though, I was in systems. I'm the youngest in a family, so there was already a very set culture of what is acceptable and not acceptable in that family and came into a religious institution, came into all sorts of different, you know, preschool, who knows, but there must have been some part of me that felt like I can't quite be myself and I've got to alter that. So the disconnect that you're talking about, what got you interested in this, Rini? I experienced that disconnect myself, right? So I was eight years old and chronically worried about what was going on around me, you know, and and I had so many what if questions going through my head all the time. I was an anxious kid. So what if I don't do well in the test, which would mean I don't get into a good college, which would mean, you know, it always ends up in basically homelessness or joblessness right. or prison. Like, <laughs> right. like A cardboard box <laughs> under a bridge. Or yeah, you're a drug addict. <laughs> like so catastrophic thinking would occur. But I was always anxious and I did not know what to do. And my parents are loving and compassionate and amazing and supportive and they couldn't help. All they could give me was constant reassurance and trust me and you'll be fine and we love you. And it's beautiful and it's compassionate and they're full of love, but they didn't know what to do. And I saw that I was putting them in pain. So I just pretended eventually like everything was okay. Right. Mm. And there's no more disconnection than pretending like you're fine when you're not fine, right? Than feigning okayness, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Wait, mm-hmm. what about the test? What about the school? What about the friends? Fine, 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 fine. I essentially became an emotional stoic. Mm-hmm. And I. Because inside, suppressed. you're still. Are... Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, okay. yes. So you have incredible turmoil within, and you're stockpiling pain, basically, but you are showing up in the world with a smile on your face. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that can happen happens when you do that for long periods of time, which is your body begins to shut you down, right? So I started in my 20s having panic attacks. I went through, as Karen mentioned, I went through a divorce, and this wasn't supposed to happen to me, quote unquote, right? This wasn't part of who I perceived myself to be, and I never learn the skills of resilience. And Mm. so I just began to panic. And, you know, it's interesting, I think a quarter of panic attacks show up as cardiac symptoms at the ER. So I showed up at the ER saying I'm having a heart attack. And they're Mm. like, "Uh, how old are you? (laughs) You know, and I was in my early 20s. And so the doctor said, yeah, I don't think you're having a heart attack, but I'll run the tests. And he came back and he said, listen, you are having a massive panic attack. Mm. And So it was that moment, you know, you ever have those moments, those moments of clarity where you can look or you look back and realize it was a moment of clarity that I just shifted in my own feet. And I said, I have to make a change because I've been doing the same thing for years. So I went to therapy and I'm lying sort of on the sofa like the iconic (laughs) picture of like lying on the sofa with this guy. I really honestly, he looked like Freud. And he was kind of like stroking his beard and looking at me and he was teaching me these amazing things. But basically what he was teaching me was to non-judgmentally feel my feelings and allow mm. them to surface. Mm. And I just had this moment where I said, excuse me, but do you have a time machine? Because mm. I don't understand why the little version of Rini could not have learned what you're teaching me right now. Because that child and every child I have met is sophisticated enough to learn these life skills because that's what they give you in therapy. They give you life skills. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, most kids don't have access to it, right? Only Mm. 
20% of kids who are experiencing anxiety will ever get access to a professional. So 80% of kids won't have access to it, but every child can learn these skills. And so that just set me on a path, you know, where I just said, I'm going to change careers. I left my tech finance background. Uh, I began to study. I got a coaching certification. As you know, we went back to, I, we both went back to school, right? So I went back to school. I changed careers. <laughs> And I said, I'm going to teach this stuff to kids and I'm going to do it in a way that engages them, which is cartoons. And so it goes on. We create animations and animated programs that are used by therapists and schools and parents to teach kids things I wish I learned when I was a kid. It's basically Absolutely. what I do. <laughs> things I wish I learned when I was a kid. You know what? That might be the theme of all of our purpose, right? Things that we really wish we had known that now we want to you know, make into a career. So your GoZen videos, I'm telling you all, these cartoons, they're not just like, you know, ah, it's a little amateur cartoon. I mean, this is like stuff that you would see on primetime television. I mean, that's <laughs> how sophisticated they, you've created a whole other world with different characters and, you know, it's technology based and you use like really like interesting age appropriate jokes. Like it's amazing to me. It's Thank amazing to me, you. and I learn every single time. So since so many kids need this, I know I needed it when I was a kid, what are the skills that kids need? It depends how much time you have, but this is what I would say. The first, very first skill that we all need is a mindset change about stress and anxiety, right? Because for many, many years, through many, many industries and mm -hmm. otherwise, we have been told that stress kills us that stress mm. kills and anxiety kills, and basically you should be a human that has no stress. Do you wanna be stress-free? Right, stress-free are words that are put together and hyphenated mm. often. Take a pill, this, eat yes, this, take do a that. Pill, eat this, do that, you know, and then you will have no stress. Having no stress is not a human goal. It's a non-human goal. You would mm. not be human, You would, or you would be a dead person, basically. It's the goal of a dead person, <laughs> right? It's not a good goal to have. Because no, and it's not realistic. It's not realistic, and it's also not aligned with the science of well-being. You wouldn't want to be stress-free. Stress has advantages, right? Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that we need to embrace is that we don't want to be stress-free. We want to stress better. We mm. want to use our stress to our advantage. We want to understand it. And we want to understand that all emotions on the spectrum of human emotions are okay and they can also be advantageous. So whether that be guilt, envy, jealousy, sadness, anger, you know, even anger, even mm -hmm. the, the much demonized anger mm -hmm. can be good for you and can be a positive catalyst for change. And so once kids hear, you mean I don't have to be, what do you mean I don't have to have less stress? I've been told a million times I'm a worry wart or I'm the worrier of the family or I tell myself I'm the worrier and I, mm -hmm. I, that's just the way I am. I was, uh, you know, that's part of our narrative. Even you said, you know, since I was three, I've been anxious. Mm -hmm. And we see it as something that's not right with us. So there obviously can be situations where our stress and anxiety are chronically in the part of the continuum of stress and anxiety that are maladaptive or not healthy for us, right? And for those things, we can use tools to bring them back into the place where we can use them to our advantage. So step number one is embrace the idea that we need to stress better. Okay, that's mm. the first tool. And I feel like 
even to pause you right there, we need to like circle that, underline it. it. Listen, whether you have kids or not, this is for adults too. Stress better. And what I heard you say in there is that every emotion has its purpose. Mm-hmm. That it's okay. You wouldn't be human if you were never angry because anger tells you, uh-oh, I'm in violation here. And you wouldn't be human if you never felt guilty. It says, uh-oh, maybe I did something to hurt someone else. So this is super important. I heard two things in there. One is emotions are normal and two, stress better. Mm-hmm. Okay, continue. Yeah. Once we embrace that, now it is the work of, and again, it's so interesting to me that kids come into this world with these skills, right? So the work that I'm going to suggest is to begin to reattune yourself with your feelings, begin to feel Mm -hmm. your feelings again, okay? (laughs) Because for better or worse, we have been delivered the message again that big feelings make big people, grown-ups feel really uncomfortable. Maybe you were sent to a timeout chair, you know, because you were getting angry and you needed to make the big feelings go away and come back with the feelings that were acceptable. Maybe you're sent to a time in corner, you know, this is the new Mm -hmm. conscious way of doing it. And it's very loving and it's beautiful and there's stress balls and there's glitter jars. But unless we're explicitly explaining to kids and to grownups that it's okay to feel their feelings and in fact necessary, then there's no way to navigate through the rest of this process. So first know your emotions are okay and they can even be purposeful, right? The goal is to stress better. Second is now we need to reacquaint ourselves with our feeling. The Mm. reacquaintance comes with our body because we essentially live in a neck up environment, right? Where we're sitting in our laptops all the time or we're doing stuff that requires thinking in our mind. And when we have thoughts, we attack them with other thoughts. So if we have thoughts like, I'm so worried, I'm so anxious, then we try to counter them with other thoughts. And there is a lot of benefit to cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy, right? And a lot of it has to do with reframing thoughts and accuracy of thoughts. And it's beautiful work. And we use a lot of it, it goes in. But before that work, we need to look at the body. So Mm -hmm. emotions come into the body in different places. They did an interesting study, uh, I believe it was a Finnish study, where they created heat signatures of where all the emotions come into the body. In anger, it's usually in your chest, your arms, and your legs. So the fight or flight response is probably responsible for that. In guilt, it's often a tightness in your chest, for example, right? And so what we need to do is we need to feel our feelings and figure out where they are showing up in our body. This is pretty intuitive to people if they think about where they feel stress. A lot of people feel butterflies in their stomach before they have to speak, right? Or Mm -hmm. before they have to do Mm -hmm. something um, that makes them feel nervous. And so you see that it shows up in your body. So first, we teach kids to identify where is the emotion in your body. And then we move on to another tool from there. So the first Mm. thing is to know to stress better. The second thing is to reacquaint yourself with where you're feeling the feelings in your body. And then there's a lot more depth that goes into that, you know, probably out of the scope of this conversation, but you can do a lot of other things with kids that, and they never come back to you looking like what, you know, with the quizzical (laughs) eyes, because kids are much more open. They ask a lot less questions basically than adults, Mm. but you can ask a child, for example, to give a color to stress and worry to give it flavor, to tell you Mm. what it smells like. You give it dimension. It's Mm. not unlike um, what we do at Gozen. They also popularized it in the movie Inside Out where they created characters for each of the emotions. So really a personification 
um, can be really helpful in getting to know your feelings, even mm. for adults. Mm. This is so good. And I was just speaking with a positive psychology student actually about his five-year-old daughter, and she wanted to watch that movie three times in a row mm. because it gave her like, oh, I, you know, I forget if it was sadness or if it was anger, whichever emotion it was, but it gave her something to hang on to. So, so when, and I'm taking this for an adult too, right? So whether it's a kid or an adult and we actually allow ourselves to notice where it is in the body, what's the purpose of that? What's the benefit? What is that doing for us or for the child? So this is indication to you that you're getting a message that needs to be listened to. You know, when we, when I work with teens, I tell them it's like a text message to your soul, like a text message to your body. Like you need oh. to pick up the text and read it. You know, it's sending a message. But if you are continually ignoring your feelings and continually ignoring your body, you're not going to get the message, right? Stress right. is sending you a message. Like you were talking about anger is a violation of your boundaries, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's sending you a message. But if you have been taught that anger is bad, anger, aggression is bad, right? But let's mm -hmm. not conflate it with anger. Emotions are good because they're sending you messages. Now, they're not your masters. You don't have to follow what they're saying, but you need to be able to read the information and make educated decisions. So the reason for feeling it in the body is that you're like, oh, I'm having a feeling in my body and uh, let me identify what emotion this is and what it's trying to say to me, essentially. Oh, I love this. I love this because when we can, everything is so fast, right? Even for kids, they're running. It's like school, soccer practice, homework, piano lesson. I mean, whatever. We're all running so fast. And if we've been told, as many of us have, that emotions are not okay or they're too much, it's like a slowing down mm -hmm. and a checking in. You know, what is what is making me angry or what boundary does it feel like I'm violating? And maybe that's that sounds like that's where you're going next. But this check-in and being able to read it like a text, because then you actually can evaluate, is this something to be angry about or not, right? Yes. And, you know, it becomes quicker. So the because I've been doing this work on myself for so long, for example, guilt is a very, very, very quick signature for me. I get a tightness in my chest. I'm like, oh, that's guilt. What's guilt trying to say to me? I'm spending, I spent a little bit more time at work than I did at home this week or something, you know, whatever mm -hmm. guilt is trying to tell me. And that mm -hmm. is sending me a message. Now, whether that's valid or not, you know, that is that it comes at a later step. And what we do with that information that comes at a later step. But yeah, that's that's basically mm. what happens. And it becomes very quick if you practice it. And, yeah. you know, basic mindfulness practices, basic meditation practices reattunes you with your body and your feelings inside of yourself. And so those can be things that help you facilitate this process. Mm, so good. I, I love the question going into my body and saying, or my emotion, what do you want me to know? Mm -hmm. You know, so if I'm feeling anxious, that's been one of my tools is to, what is it that you're trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like almost having a conversation. I I honestly think of it as having a conversation with little Karen because mm -hmm. <laughs> she's mm -hmm. the one she she's the one who started getting really anxious. And so, you know, and she'll tell me I'm scared about this or I'm scared about that. Well, then I can come back as an adult to little Karen inside of me. OK, we can. Oh, you're scared about money. OK, well, we can we can do money, you know, and kind of have that. Maybe I sound a little schizophrenic right now having these different sides of me, but it's been no. helpful for me. No. <laughs> right? so like parent that younger side of me. Yeah. And by the way, again, a, a tried and true therapeutic technique is to create a diffusion, right? Like to separate 
those feelings from who you really are. So Mm -hmm. one of the core things that we try to teach kids is you are not your feelings, right? You are not your thoughts and you are not your feelings. You couldn't possibly be because those things are meant to be temporary. You are not meant to be angry your entire life, right? So when you say, I am angry, we teach kids to say, I'm having the feeling that I'm angry. When you Mm. say, I am worried, I'm having the thought that I am worried. So this diffusion is extremely important. And like you're talking about talking to little Karen, we teach kids to talk to their worry, right? And Mm. what is, and we all, we assign a character to it. So in the Gozen programs, we use Whittle the Worrier. And wit, you know, what is Whittle trying to tell you? And so there's a separation between the feeling that you're having and yourself. And who is who are like who is that self? Who is that person? Well, you are your strengths, right? Mm. You are the light that you came into the world with. You are abundance. You are that person when you are at your best, that's who you are, right? Mm. These feelings are coming and going as information. It's not who you are. So it is actually important to create the separation to have the schizophrenic conversations as you call them. (laughs) So we will say to kids, okay, now that you've identified the feeling, what is X, Y, and Z, which is an emotion telling you? So what is anger telling you? What is worry telling you? Mm. Um, And a lot of times, then we explain to them, depending on the emotion, let's take worry, right? Which is we, we use worry, stress, and anxiety interchangeably. Depends on the age of the child. We say worry, what is worry telling you? And then we teach them, well, whittle the worrier, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's, Mm. he's not a bad character. He's just, trying to protect you. And sometimes he gets a little bit upset and overreacts. And so he is not accurate in what he says. He's exaggerating. Then Mm -hmm. we teach them about the why of the exaggeration. So even at the young ages of five and six, we go back in time in the programs, we show them how anxious thoughts are notoriously inaccurate because we were supposed to pay attention to danger And so our brain exaggerates the danger. And so that's why the worry is blown up, you know, and that's why you you think it over and over and over and over and over again. Right. That's why you ended up thinking, worrying when you were a kid, if you didn't get an A on your eighth grade math test, you're going to end up homeless one day. So that's the over-exaggeration, you know, the catastrophizing that is very human, right? And because of that threat response, we all have that negativity bias. Your brain goes negative first. But I love this. So you're teaching this even as young as five. Oh, yeah. And they get it? And they absolutely get it. So you change, oh. you know, and again. Um, this is so good, Rini. Change the language. You make it accessible. You make it fun. It depends on the age of the child. And you make the goal that you are empowering them with life skills. And these are universal. They don't need to be worried in order to use these skills. So a lot of the schools that we're working with are rolling out our programs universally. So it's not for a quote unquote troubled child or a child that's working a one-on-one with a psychologist. It can be, it can be, right? It can be a reactive solution to a problem, um, but it can also be prevention in arming kids with skills that they will eventually need because if we're going through this human experience, at some point we are facing a challenge. Hmm. Like all the time, usually. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, let's 
often. I think it's very human. You know, you, you you'll have a moment of it's yeah. oh, this coffee is so delicious, and then by accident, your dog walks by you and you spill it on the white shirt. I mean, so this is just like part of being human. There's right, and then you take off the white shirt. You're like, ah, oh, okay, but I have bleach. Okay, now it's gone. So this is kind of how it works. And we go up and we go down. And so these skills. So let's talk specifically about the Gozen program that you're rolling it out. Schools, therapists. You know, parents who are listening to this, I mean, is this something that's accessible? Yeah, I wanted to make it so what my parents were doing is they were trying to read books and then translate the work to me directly, right? And I don't mean like English translation, I just mean they were trying to create tools <laughs> from what they were reading and they were trying to make it work for a kid. And I just kept thinking to myself, but these kids are so bright and sophisticated, all of them right? They get it. They can get it. And sometimes, frankly, seriously, they can get it better than we can. And often <laughs> they will take the work, they will watch a Gozen video and they will, you know, send feedback through and make it better. They have mm. ideas that we wouldn't have because we're inhibited by so much conditioning like from over the years, right? They think right. out of the box naturally. They're all out of the box thinkers. Oh, so and you all have to see these videos. I mean, they are incredible. The the whittle and the and then the other one is the thinker, the till. Yeah, yeah. And and their characters, you know, that that Rini and her team have developed that live inside your mind. And then they show these different kids, and the kids are very diverse and different teachers and the little um fairy. There's a little fairy in the program, right? <laughs> the dynamos, um, yes. <laughs> so we wanted to embody all of the character strengths represented by the VIA classification. So we created mm -hmm. these 24 dynamos and they basically show up for you whenever you need to solve a problem to teach you strength-based problem solving. So we have six animated programs basically. And then as you said, we work with schools, we work with therapists, um, we work with coaches, and then we work with parents directly. And they can buy the programs online and watch them at home or roll them out in schools. Um, we tried to make it very point and click easy, you know, because as I said, my parents were trying to translate the stuff for me directly. I wanted to make it accessible to kids. I wanted to make it affordable. I wanted to make it accessible in terms of it being online so you can access it if you have an internet connection. And so those are kind of the goals that we were working mm. with. I mm. think every child has a right to learn these skills. And I feel like we, as the generation of grownups for these kids, raising these kids collectively, have a duty to get it to them. Mm -hmm. Now, you also do work. You do work in, this is so important, in anxiety. And you are working on a happy child summit. Mm -hmm. And I know you did a motivated child summit because I you know, loved being interviewed by you and, and providing information about motivation and purpose. So like you said, this isn't just about kids being anxious. What's going on with happiness? What's going on with motivation? Yeah, motivation is interesting. So motivation, a lot of parents will come and say, how do I motivate my child to do homework? You know, how do I motivate them to be responsible? How do I motivate them to take priorities and, and things in their life seriously? They want to play video games. How do I get them off the video game? Distracted. <laughs> yeah, they're doing this. You know, how do I motivate them? And I say, is our goal really to cultivate intrinsic motivation, which is kind of a funny thing to do, right? Like, how do you, you can, how do I, yeah, how do you make someone intrinsically motivated? It's sort of, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? But what we can do is that we can help them cultivate a deep curiosity for things. We can help them rekindle their love of learning that they came into the world with. You don't really have to mm. prod people 
or kids or anyone when they're curious about something. When you're curious about something, you follow it, right? You go deeper mm -hmm. naturally. Um, so I think that what we need to do is to look for clues when it comes to motivation as to why the motivation is waning. And yes, of course, there can be distractions. I'm not saying that there aren't all these distractions out there. There aren't phones. There, there isn't social media and there aren't these other things, you know. But even let's just say that those things disappeared. Let's control for those things and say that they weren't there. A lot of kids still wouldn't maybe be interested in the math lesson that they were learning at school. Maybe they don't see the relevance of like the quadratic equation or something. How is that going to be relevant to my life? When am I ever going to use math, right? Is the mm -hmm. thing that, when am I ever going to use X, Y, and Z? Right. And so how do we recultivate that curiosity or kindle, kindle a curiosity or rekindle a curiosity? Well, you have to use study purpose and meaning. Purpose and meaning is understanding how what you are contributing to the world provides for a, a greater than you good, right? How mm -hmm. it is serving mm -hmm. something more than yourself, perhaps. And it doesn't have to be charitable, right? But how it fits into the world. And I think that often what we're lacking because we're trying to cram so much in is context for kids. Why the heck am I learning this thing? It, mm -hmm. At characterlab.org, you guys will find a playbook called Building Connections that they teach you to teach kids how to build a connection between what they're learning in the world and what's relevant to them. So build a connection Ooh. between that quadratic equation and the video game they're playing. And so the exercises that they have on there help you to do that because they need context. We all do. Imagine if you came to work, Karen, and someone asked you to do something and literally didn't tell you why. By the way, I've done that right. at work before. I'm sure you have too. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started working, I worked at Arthur Anderson. I can talk about it because they're defunct, but <laughs> and they made me make these binders and they never told me why. Actually, they call me Binderella. It was so horrible. Oh, they made me make oh. binders. And I was like, did I go to school for this? I don't understand. Right. But I, like, I, never agree. What? I never knew why I was doing it. And I felt so helpless and disturbed, you know. And of course, I lacked motivation because I was not curious. Eventually, I wasn't curious because I knew no one was telling me. It was like, just do right. it because you're supposed to do it. We can't do that to kids. Which is... No, it's what we do with homework all the time. I mean, God, when you said that, I had this vision of walking into our office in the morning and Josh laying out like a 13th century history lesson for me, because that would make me want to cry and like walk away and say, I'm never coming back to this office again, right? Yeah. And then telling you, not telling you why you're going to learn it, but not just telling saying, you why, because you have to do, do it. it, right? Because yeah. it wouldn't be, that's not something that, that I personally am intrinsically or, you know, excited or motivated about. But if I knew, if he said to me, oh, there's something in there about a woman who escaped slavery or something, I'd be, oh, okay, let me read all about this because now I'm super into it and she's inspiring and she's going to you know, motivate me and help me with a podcast or something. So th this is huge. And kids are learning all sorts of stuff that either they're not interested in or that they don't know what it's for. So so you've nailed it. This is, a, this is really important for teachers, I guess, and for parents and any of us in anything we're doing, because I think we all have tasks that we don't really want to do, right? We I mean, all that's have part tasks of life. that we don't really want to do. And one of the great talks during the Motivated Child Summit, including yours on purpose, which was beautiful, we had one on procrastination um, mm. by Do Dr. Tim Pitchell. And I'm so glad I got to speak with him because I was calling him Dr. Tim Pickle for so long, but his name is 
spelling of his name. It's Pitchell, um, and he's super cool, but he is a world-renowned expert on procrastination, right? And who doesn't mm. need that? We all, every mm -hmm. human has procrastinated at some time or another. It's just on a continuum. Whether you do it a lot or whether you do it a little, we all do it. And he talks about kids who aren't motivated to do something often feel overwhelmed. And so one of his go-to techniques for that is to ask a child, what is the next action you can do? Whether mm -hmm. it be the teeny tiniest, super littlest, smallest, biddiest thing. For example, Karen, if you had to come to work and writing was one of the things that you were doing today, but you didn't feel like it, right? Then what's the next action? And the next action might be so small, it might be like turning my computer on, right. opening up a Word document, writing one word, one writing, one <laughs> sentence, you know, which turns into two sentences, which turns into three. And not building out a plan, because often this sounds like some kind of gradual plan that you're building to tell me all the smallest steps that you can take, you know, in a row. This is only what's the next action, just, just one next step. And then after that, ask yourself, what's the next action? And that can help with procrastination. But there's so many beautiful experts. Mm -hmm. I realized I was being too much of an island and doing all this work on my own, um, which was very fulfilling creatively. But there are just so many people out there with so many wonderful ideas that I wanted to be able to, and not everyone has time to read all of these books, right? I wanted to be able mm -hmm. to reach out to experts and say, can you tell us what's in your book and how to use it yeah. at home? Very practical. <laughs> can you give us what's in your book in one hour yeah. um, and present them on a summit? Hmm. It's so good. So you've had, let's say, I know you had the Motivated Child Summit. You're, you have a Happy Child Summit. There yes. was a third one. Yes. So we have the Resilient Child Summit, the Better Sleep Summit, the Motivated oh. Child Summit, and the Happy Child Summit. So those okay, are so the summits four. and we continue to work on them. Yes. And those are about 20 experts that you've interviewed. Are those available to any parent out there who, or, or me or anybody out there who wants to just go get them? They're available to anyone out there who wants to go get them. You can either Google the summit name or you can come to GoZen and you'll be able to find them. Okay, so Gozen, that's going to be our home for everything. Yes. So these, so the tools, so we have the, how do we work with the emo, the anxiety, better, stressing better, I love that, really the emotions and feeling them in your body mm -hmm. and being able to identify them, checking in, what are they trying to tell me, mm -hmm. and then really kind of getting into the cognitive aspect of what's true, what is not true in order to be able to take it in action from a reasonable place. Yeah, so we have something in our program called the five C's process, but I'll just go through three of the C's, which is to check your thoughts, to collect evidence, mm. and then to challenge your thoughts, right? Mm. So we can do this with any kind of thought. You know, we have upwards of, this number is debatable, but it's somewhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot, right? So we have thousands every hour. And a lot of them are just inaccurate. They're just wrong. They're just straight up not right because we're operating off of our conscious brains and we're taking in senses from our unconscious brains. So we can only attend to like seven bits of information. And it's really the reason why if you go to a party with a friend 
and you have a good time and they have a bad time, it's because maybe you are attending to different things, right? Like you were mm -hmm. having, you were paying attention to a poor conversation that you were having and she was paying attention to the chips and dip that she was eating. But whatever the <laughs> case is, is that you can be in the same place and have a totally different experience because your conscious mind is paying attention to different things. And so what we teach to kids in a fun way is that most of the time your stories inaccurate so we never mm -hmm. say positive thinking those words make me cringe yes we have a master's in positive psychology i do not like positive thinking i am not into positive affirmations it all makes me cringe it reminds me of my teenage self i would have rolled my eyes but we mm -hmm. do teach kids that their goal is accurate thinking and we are just mm -hmm. not accurate thinkers generally. And when we are anxious, we're extremely inaccurate thinkers. So check mm -hmm. your thought, collect evidence, right? Supporting or negating the thought and then challenge yourself. And we literally teach kids to have a debate with themselves. So this idea of self-disputation is a tried and true CBT technique that's used. But you know, if you make it visual, and you make it fun for kids, they're willing to do it. And if you're a parent working with a kid, you can role play one of the parts. Um, you can do it in writing, you know, in our programs, we give you different techniques to do some of these C's. Oh, there's, it's so good. And it's interesting. We learned this in grad school and I do it still with myself, right? I'll literally sit down and I will write out these steps because even though I've been practicing them for a long time, if I have a thought that's very heated or very, you know, triggered, you know, maybe about a relationship that's important to me or something that's kind of a deeper, like not good enough thought that's kind of been there since I was three or 10 or whatever it might be, then I literally will sit down and it's like, take that thought to court, right? Mm -hmm. That's the collecting evidence. You know, what part of this thought is true? Mm -hmm. You know, take like the, if I don't get an A, I'm going to end up in a cardboard box. Okay. <laughs> what evidence do I have that it's true? And what evidence do I have that it's not true? And then you can change it. This is so good. It's so good for kids. And it's really good for adults because the, where kids learn is from us. So the more we can practice these tools ourselves, right, the better it is. And let's practice with the kids in our lives. So this is amazing, Rini. You are just so brilliant. I love what you've done. Everyone out there, whether you have kids or not, you just go check out GoZen because the characters will just make you smile. And it's a great way for all of us to learn. So you can find the link to GoZen in the show notes. And you can connect with Rini and her team there. If you're a school, if you're a parent, you'll find all sorts of information. Anywhere else people should connect with you, Rini. That's the best way to connect with me. And um, I love talking to people. I'm happy if you reach out to me directly. You can find that information on GoZen. Amazing. Okay. So, Rini, one thing I love to do with all of my guests on the Purpose Girl podcast is what I call the Purpose Power Playround. And this is when I'm just going to ask you a few totally random questions and whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind, that's the right answer. Okay, cool. Okay, ready? Yeah. All right. So first question, a book you read recently that you love? Self-Driven Child. Ooh, what is that? <laughs> it's about how we all come into this world with a desire to master skills and be autonomous and then how mm. they kind of get taken away from us and how to really <laughs> give them back. It's so good. Mm. It sounds so good. It sounds so good. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Number two, when you were a little girl, little Rini, mm -hmm. what did she want to be when she grew up? Oh, a Bollywood star for sure. hundred oh. <laughs> <laughs> percent. It's on my bucket list. It sure. still is. Yeah. yeah. You do the Bollywood dancing and, uh, and yeah. all that. 
I want to run around trees, sing the songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was me. It was happening. <laughs> dare I ask you to sing a song now? No, dare you not to uh, ask me to sing a song now? <laughs> I dared, but you still were a strong, empowered woman, and you said no. I love that. Okay, <laughs> number three. So you and I are having coffee, let's say, in five years. Mm-hmm. What's one thing happening in your life at that point that you're proud of? Mm. That I'm able to be present with you during that conversation. That is one thing I would be very proud of. Mm. I'm able to, that... to tune in. Yeah. That is beautiful. Right? I love that you didn't just go for like an achievement that your company reaches X you know, number amount of impact or dollars or wasn't about your kids because all of those are important too. I love this being fully present in our friendship and our connection mm. and our time. Rini, you are a beautiful heart. You are a beautiful soul. You're a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant businesswoman and storyteller and human making a huge difference in this world. People ask me all the time, can you please do this work with my daughter? Can you please do this work with kids? And I don't need to because you are doing this work. And that is so, so important. So thank you, Rini, from the bottom of my heart. You're incredible. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Karen. And thank you for the work that you're doing and the way in which you're doing it. Thank you all. Uh, thank you all for listening um, and know that Karen is equally a beautiful, amazing soul that always, always brings lightness into the space that you're sharing mm. with her. Thank you. Thank you. I received that. Oh, I love love. This is why I love having girlfriends. It's so good. <laughs> Girl power. Girl power. All of you out there, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. We hope you loved this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. If you did, we'd love to receive your love. So please go on to Apple Podcasts or your iTunes app. Go all the way down at the bottom uh, under Purpose Girl podcast. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to leave a review. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you loved. It just takes literally one minute of your time to leave one sentence. It's because of all of you leaving those reviews that people all over the world are finding the Purpose Girl podcast. It's because you are sharing this podcast with your friends, with your colleagues. This particular episode, send it to your kids' schools. Send it to the therapist. Let them hear that there are tools out there for your kids and for the kids everywhere. We need this information to get out there. The way we are changing the world, it's one woman at a time. So as always, please go ahead, follow me on Instagram, connect, send me a message. I love hearing from you at Karen Rockin. Go over to Facebook, join our free Purpose Girls Women's Happiness Network Facebook group. It's totally free, very inspiring, very motivational, and you will love it. If you have not downloaded it yet, go over to PurposeGirl.com. You can get your download of 50 happiness tips that I did a podcast episode about recently, but you can get those, download it totally for free. Get your Living on Purpose guide there, also totally for free. It's a workbook filled with questions about how you can live your purpose. And as always, we thank you for listening and being part of this amazing community that is changing the world one woman at a time. As always, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself. And may you love life. Bye for now.